One of my former students recently asked me how I thought the COVID-19 crisis was affecting pastoral ministry and preaching in particular. How do you preach in an environment like this? The simple answer is that you do the best you can, given the circumstances. Preaching is challenging enough under ordinary conditions. The nature of the current crisis has completely upended our normal patterns of meeting and communicating. Preachers are speaking to empty seats and recording their messages for broadcast over social media. As one popular meme observes, we're all televangelists now. The answer to my student's question involves more than the medium, though much could be said about that as well. The medium of delivery matters, but the content of the message is always primary. Whether we preach live or by means of a video, we're still saying something. What should we say? The Sunday School answer to this question, of course, is that we should preach the gospel. There's a sense in which preachers only have one message to deliver. Our determination, like the Apostle Paul's, is to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And as true as this may be, to put it this way, in answer to this particular question seems like an oversimplification. It is not. The gospel offers hope for the present life as well as for the future. It's about living as much as it is about dying. Living the Christian life is more than a matter of willpower and information. The Christian life is spirit-driven and grace-enabled. It's a life that's lived not only in response to the gospel, but through the power of the gospel. Paul's letters are proof that the saints do not need to hear a different gospel after they believed than the one that was preached to them prior to faith. The apostle was just as eager to preach the gospel to the saints at Rome as he was to proclaim it to those who had never heard Christ named. While the saints don't need a different gospel, what they do need is a gospel which is explicated in terms of their experience. This means that preaching the gospel to the saints during this season of COVID-19 demands that we do more than state the facts of the gospel. What is especially needed is gospel preaching that demonstrates priestly sensitivity. In the Old Testament, priests, like prophets, exercised the ministry of God's word. The priest, however, differed from the prophet because he shouldered an additional burden, serving as the people's advocate. Priests were not only selected from among men, but were appointed to represent them, according to Hebrews 5.1. Preachers, like the priests of the Old Testament, do not stand apart from those who hear them. The default disposition of every sermon is one of sympathy. Priestly sympathy is not pandering, but a compassionate ministry that's born of shared experience. Priestly advocacy should not be confused with trite slogans, pat answers, or simplistic explanations. Unfortunately, our culture's bent toward pragmatism makes us especially vulnerable in this area. We're too eager to come to God's defense, too quick to fill in the silences God leaves behind and attempt to explain what he himself has not explained. Similarly, it can be tempting for preachers to use a crisis like this to leverage their favorite rebuke. If the posts I see from pastors on social media are an indication of what we're saying in our sermons, not a few of us have seized the opportunity afforded by the pandemic to teach the church a lesson about our favorite cultural or congregational irritation. We're saying that this crisis has come upon us because of abortion or that it's God's judgment because of homosexuality. Some suggest that God sent it to show us that we're spoiled or that he allowed the churches to be shut down because we took worship for granted. Some are saying that God has forced us out of the building so that the church could be the church. 
The intent of these assertions, I think, is to be prophetic. Unfortunately, such varied explanations merely gives the impression that God can't make up his mind about why he's angry with us. He's just mad. I'm not saying that God would never deal out judgment on a national or even a global scale. The scriptures show that he has done so in the past and will do so again. What troubles me is the underlying note of smugness that seems to attend so many of these kinds of statements. Perhaps before we try to call down woes upon the nation, like the prophet Jeremiah, we ought to learn how to weep like him first. Some of this comes from the pressure we feel to exonerate God. Like many others, I've had more than one person ask me what I thought God was up to by allowing such a devastating pandemic to occur. In our effort to provide an answer, we may overreach. We can make the mistake of thinking that since we speak for God, we may also speak as God. Like Moses at the rock, we speak rashly or out of spite. We jump to conclusions about God's intent. We make statements about God's motives and reasoning that sound like certainties, but are really only speculations. It's not wrong to address the questions that people ask. One of the preacher's most important responsibilities is that of leading the congregation in the collective practice of theological reflection about the questions and challenges which are peculiar to their context. But they must do this with what I describe as priestly advocacy. The key to priestly advocacy is identification. This means that the preacher functions as a kind of mediator, standing between the text and the congregation and listening to the Word of God on their behalf. Because we stand in the place of our listeners, we ask the questions that they would ask. Some of these questions are obvious. Many are mundane. If we're to be true advocates for them, we must also ask the questions that our listeners would like to ask, but dare not. We can give voice to the questions that plague our listeners, but we can't always answer them. Our priestly role demands that we speak the truth, and the truth is, God does not always explain himself. Part of the priestly responsibility of preaching is to give voice to the congregation's unspoken questions and then listen with them to the awkward silence that sometimes ensues once the words have been spoken. It is not our job to answer all the congregation's questions. When we try to say what God has not said, we inevitably replace God's judgment with our own. What then can we say? We can affirm the congregation's questions and fears. To admit that we don't know what God is doing is not the same as saying that God is doing nothing. To acknowledge fear, grief, or uncertainty can itself be a great relief in times like these. Of course, it's crucial that we not stop here. More needs to be said. We don't want to only point at the problem, but if preaching aims to facilitate an encounter with God, a precondition must be that we face God as we truly are, with all our doubts, fears, and questions in plain sight. If our aim in preaching really is to help our listeners meet God through His Word, then the second thing we can do in the sermon is to speak of God. More particularly, we can speak of God as He has revealed Himself through the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. This may sound too simple, so let me make clear what I don't mean. I'm not talking about hawking God as a product by selling the audience an airbrushed version of the Christian life. Such sermons try to resolve every serious problem within a matter of minutes, 
This airbrushed portrayal of Christianity is not preaching at all, but a form of sentimentalism that trivializes the gospel. Trivialized preaching is triumphalistic. Triumphalism is a perspective that grows out of our evangelical heritage of revivalism. The revival tradition of preaching emphasizes the transforming moment when the listener's life is forever changed. Certainly this is true of the gospel. We are forgiven in a moment, but the redemptive process takes much longer. Triumphalistic sermons give the impression that every problem can be solved in a matter of moments simply by leaving it at the altar. Undoubtedly, there have been remarkable instances where this has been the case. Sinners plagued by long-standing habits leave the sermon miraculously freed from bondage. Yet for many others, perhaps even most others, the experience is different. For them, transformation is progressive rather than instantaneous. These believers do not skip along the pilgrim path, but as the hymn writer says, toil along the winding way with painful steps and slow. Preachers who do not acknowledge this resort instead to cliches and platitudes. Their sermon themes are flaccid, and the remedies they offer mere placebos. Such sermons are unable to provide any real help to those who hear. How can they, when truism stands in the place of truth? In order to be true to our audience's experience, preaching must reflect the reality of living in a post-Eden world in anticipation of a new heavens and earth that have not yet come to pass. Times like these, where not only our congregation, but the entire globe must deal with the collateral damage that sin has wrecked upon us, are uniquely suited to such a task. Never has Paul's statement that creation itself is in bondage to decay as a consequence of Adam's sin been made more vivid. Directing our listeners to hope in Christ is not a platitude. The root of our fear in this current crisis is the fear of sickness and death. Some would like to promise that Jesus will protect us from all such threats, but this is not the hope that the Bible offers us. The message of the gospel is not only the story that Jesus died and rose again, it is the good news that Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The gospel does not assure us that we will be able to avoid the experience of physical death. It tells us that Christ will meet us on the other side. This promise is no small hope. third thing that we can say, especially at a time when our normal community life has been so disrupted, is to remind the church that they are still a church. Some Christians seem to feel a kind of glee over the fact that the church cannot meet together during this season of social distancing. At last, they seem to say, the church can finally be the church. I find this reasoning odd. The language that the Bible uses to speak of the church implies proximity. This aspect of the church's nature is best expressed by the phrase Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11.18, when you come together as a church. The fact that the church comes together is not a weakness. It's not an indulgence. The church is by nature an assembly. I find it ironic that while some Christians seem to be celebrating the fact that the church cannot meet, the rest of the world recognizes the need for a sense of connection. Nearly every commercial I see on television that mentions the pandemic also says we are in this together. They assure me that we will get through this. What surprises me the most is how moved I am by such assurances. 
Those who record their sermons while preaching to empty seats need to remind the congregation that the bond they share with one another in Jesus Christ has not been diminished by physical separation. They really are in this together. The church will survive, and one day we will come together again as a church. But even though we are now separated, we continue to be members of one body. The scope of the COVID-19 pandemic may be unusual, but the experiences of fear and uncertainty are not. If you doubt this, just take note of how many times God tells his people not to be afraid in Scripture. Those who preach often speak to people in crisis. While not as massive as a pandemic, each individual crisis a listener faces under ordinary circumstances can be just as shattering. Pastors and teachers were not an invention of the church. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says that they are Christ's gift to God's people. The church needs its preachers. What is true during this singular time of crisis will still be true when things return to normal. How should you preach during this season of the coronavirus? You should preach like someone whose hope is cast upon the Word of God. Speak the truth with priestly sensitivity. Point your listeners to Jesus Christ. Do the best you can. You can do no more.